We are going to take a break from the book of Psalms this morning. So if you will, turn with me into the New Testament and to the book of Mark. The Gospel of Mark and chapter 1, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. It's on page 994 in the Pew Bible. Mark 1, and we'll read all the way down through verse 15. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. Immediately, the spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, "The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." Father, we do pray that you make us like John who realized that he was not even worthy to bend down and untie Jesus shoes, as it were, that we would humble ourselves before you and lift up your son today, and I pray that you would help me to do that, or that my desire would be like that of John, simply to point away from myself, beyond myself, to the Son of God. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to focus your attention particularly on those last two verses or verse and a half that we read, picking up in the middle of verse 14 again. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came into Galilee preaching. I find it interesting just to start off to think of Jesus as a preacher. We might not normally picture him in exactly that way. We picture him as the healer, of course, and the miracle worker. Uh, We picture the ministry of Jesus with him being the friend of sinners and spending time with the tax collectors and so on. We picture him as a teacher, perhaps, sitting down, giving instruction, reasoning with the people, giving them illustrations and parables and so on. 
But there's a difference between teaching, as we might normally think of Jesus doing, and preaching, as we find him doing here. There's a difference. The one is instruction and reasoning and informing and gentle persuading and illustrating and so on. That's teaching. But preaching is all of those things and more. Preaching has an urgency to it. Preaching has an edge to it. Preaching is shouting from the rooftops, if you will. Preaching is proclaiming something that is life and death important. Preaching comes with a fire welling up in the preacher's bones. And that's what we find Jesus doing here. And I wonder if we normally think of Jesus that way as he speaks to the crowd as the preacher. When we picture Jesus before the crowds, I think usually, again, it might be something like the Sermon on the Mount. He's sitting calmly. He's working through a lesson or a longer uh, sermon, as it were. He's teaching a parable. He's causing people to think and to ponder. And that's an accurate picture of Jesus, isn't it? But here in Mark 1, there's something different. Here in Mark 1, these words have a rooftop quality to them, don't they? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus here has an urgency in his voice. And this isn't an isolated event. This was a standard part of Jesus' ministry. In addition to the healing, in addition to the befriending of sinners and the miracle working and the teaching, preaching was a standard part of Jesus' ministry. This kind of urgent rooftop message. In fact, if you just look down to verse 38, you'll see that Jesus, a little while later, said to his disciples, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what... I came to do. Jesus was a preacher. And I say all that, um, first of all, just to help you remember who Jesus was in all of the different facets of his ministry, but also as a reminder that Jesus' followers ought to be preachers in our own right. We ought to have the kind of urgency to see people repent and believe in the gospel that we see when a man stands before a crowd and preaches and proclaims to them with fire in his bones. We ought to speak to people like Jesus spoke. We ought to imitate Jesus in as much as we can in all of his public ministry, ought we? We ought to minister to the sick like he did. We ought to befriend sinners like he did. We ought to love children and take them into our arms and bless them like he did. We ought to teach people lessons and cause people to think like he did. But sometimes we also ought to preach like he did. Maybe it's to a crowd, maybe it's to an individual, but we ought all to find ourselves sometimes with an urgency arising in our gut and an urgency coming out of our countenance and on our lips, saying to people, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We ought all to imitate Jesus in this urgency. And so I just ask you before we move on with this particular passage, to whom might you need to speak with that kind of urgency in the days ahead? Who is there in your life who needs someone kindly, compassionately, not judgmentally, but urgently to say to them, you must repent. You must believe in the gospel. All of us have those relationships in our lives and we 
want to have the urgency that we find Jesus the preacher with here in Mark 1. So I find it interesting, I find it intriguing to think of Jesus as the preacher, as the evangelist. And I want to consider his message this morning. I want to consider what he actually said. Jesus came in to Galilee preaching the gospel of God, but what was that gospel? What did Jesus preach in those little towns and villages round about? I want to think about it this morning, obviously from verse 15. Jesus came, verse 14, preaching the gospel of God, and then verse 15, here's what he said. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I want to think through what Jesus said there. And I want to do it for two reasons. One, I want to preach what Jesus preached to you this morning. And secondly, I want you to be able to preach this to others. I want to preach this to you And I want you to be able to preach it to others. So what did Jesus preach in the villages and on the hillsides and in the hamlets of Galilee? What was this gospel that he came preaching in verse 14? Well, as John records it in verse 15, it seems to me that Jesus' message had four points, four parts to it. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Four things he says there. Now it's possible that this one sentence was Jesus' whole sermon. In other words, it's possible that he walked into villages and gathered a crowd about him and then simply said to him, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It could have been a one-sentence sermon, and sometimes that's maybe all that we have time or ability to give. But it's likely, I would think, that Mark here is not saying that Jesus only ever preached one sentence, but that Mark is giving us a summary, probably, of what Jesus preached on a broader scale. It's likely that these four points would have been filled out by Jesus and explained by Jesus and applied by Jesus in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of different situations, maybe not always in this exact order. Maybe he didn't always give all four of them, but surely these are the kinds of things that Jesus was saying to people as he went from village to village. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, whether Jesus was doing all of that or just giving one sentence, I'm not sure, but I'm going to do that this morning at any rate. I'm going to take this one sentence from the lips of Jesus, and I'm going to expound on it and explain it and try to apply what Jesus is saying here. So consider with me in four parts what Jesus preached when he went into Galilee. What is the gospel of God, the gospel according to Jesus? First of all, The time is fulfilled, he says. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. And of course, the question is, what time is fulfilled? Well, the time is fulfilled. The time that the whole of the Old Testament has been waiting for. The time that the whole of human history has been working towards. 
That's what's been fulfilled. There is a point in time that all of history had been waiting to come. The time, Genesis 3, when the seed of the woman would come and crush Satan's head for all the destruction that he's wreaked in the world. The time when the lamb would come whom all the other lambs and goats and bulls symbolized as they were sacrificed in the temple. The time when the second Moses would come, Deuteronomy 18. A prophet like me, Moses said, will come. You should listen to him. He would come. And the time is now fulfilled, Jesus says, when he has come to lead God's people into ultimate freedom. The time is fulfilled when the shoot of Jesse would come to reign on the throne of David forever and ever. The time is fulfilled when the suffering servant from the prophecies of Isaiah would arise to be pierced through for our transgressions. The time is fulfilled, Jesus said. The time that you have so long been waiting for has come. You've been waiting for this deliverer, this lamb, this prophet, this king. And now he says the time is fulfilled. The seed of the woman has arrived. The lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. The son of David has come to claim his crown rights and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the time that everyone had been waiting for. That's the time that the whole history of the world and the universe had been working towards the coming of this Savior. And Jesus says, now the time is fulfilled. This is a cataclysmic statement, isn't it? Jesus is saying that the axis point of history has been fulfilled. The Messiah has come. That's what Jesus is talking about here, I believe. The time of God's fulfillment of all the promises of old has directly to do with the man of God's fulfillment. All of the promises that they were waiting for were to find their amen in a person. So when Jesus says the time is fulfilled, he's not just talking about time. He's talking about himself. He is announcing, in essence, that the person has come, that the man of God's right hand has come, that the second Moses has come, that the shoot of Jesse and the servant of the Lord has come. The time for the Messiah to come has been fulfilled. And you know that ought to be our message, too. That ought to be our gospel, too, as we go into our workplaces preaching the gospel of God. Our message is ultimately the announcement of the arrival of a person. A person. There's lots of things that we could tell folks about Christianity, and there are many things that we must tell them about Christianity. But at the root of it all is a person. The Savior, the Messiah, the servant whom the world has been awaiting. He's come. The time is fulfilled. And we have the privilege of heralding that to people, saying the man of God's own choosing is here. Now, children love to announce guests, don't they? Whenever we have a guest coming to our home, um, our children are prone to stand at the window and watch for them, or even if they're not standing and watching, when they realize they have arrived, they come running and say, they're here, they're here. Your kids probably do that too. Grandpa is here, grandma is here. It's a wonderful thing. 
we love to announce that a baby has come, right? We got to do that this morning. It's a wonderful thing to say the thing, the person that we've been waiting for has come. And how much more when the one we're waiting for is the seed of the woman, the Lamb of God, the Son of David, the Messiah that the world has been waiting for. We get to announce that. Now, our friends may not know all of that Old Testament terminology. You may say the seed of the woman has come and they may say, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then you may say, well, I'm talking about the Messiah. And they may say to you, well, I'm not waiting for a Messiah. Thank you very much. But, you know, if you watch your coworkers and your neighbors and your family members every four years in November you will see that deep within them, many of them are waiting for a Messiah. They are waiting for someone, just like the Israelites were waiting for someone. Someone who might finally do it the right way. Someone who might finally come and fix this mess we're in. Someone we can finally trust. Someone who will right the ship. They're not thinking about it in Old Testament terms, but they're thinking the same thing that the world has been thinking since sin came into the garden through Adam and Eve. We need someone to come and fix this problem. And you have the privilege of proclaiming to them the time is fulfilled. The one you're looking for has arrived. His name is Jesus. And then you go on to explain this person to them, how he was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, how he was sinless, though tempted in all things as we are. You tell them about his teaching and his preaching and what he said. You tell them about his healing and his power. You tell them about his dying for our sins in our place. And is rising again on the third day. You tell them how he's returning again someday to make all things new. You are his herald. This is the heart of our message. Not a list of rules, though there are rules. Not that people just need to get into church, though they will get into church. Not even is our message mainly about grace and faith and repentance, though all of those things are essential. But the heartbeat of our message is that we have a deliverer, a person who has come. The heartbeat of our message is there is a savior. There is someone who can untangle the mess and the time is fulfilled. That savior has come. Let me know about who he is. That's the first piece of Jesus' message. The time is fulfilled. And not only is the time Fulfilled. Not only has the king come, but secondly, the kingdom of God is at hand. Not only has the king come, but he has brought with him the kingdom. Not in its fullness, of course. Not in its finality or consummation. We are waiting for a world in which righteousness dwells. We are waiting for a world that will be very different than this one. The kingdom hasn't come in its final form, but nevertheless, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God 
has broken into the kingdoms of this world and it is advancing and taking outposts here and there and there where the gospel is preached. This was Jesus' message as he preached in the hamlets of Galilee. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world in which you live. I wonder if that's what we preach to people when we tell them the gospel. That the kingdom of God is already on the move and we can live in it today. We're John 3.16 people, aren't we? And rightly so. There are a few verses in the Bible that are more seminal than that one. With its teaching on God's love for us. Enough that he would give his only son to die for us so that we might have eternal life. It's an incredibly important verse. But I wonder when we share the gospel if we don't sometimes focus so much on eternal life out in the future, which is important and vital, but we then forget to tell people that the kingdom of God is at hand. We forget to tell people that you can experience life now, that there is joy now, and there's hope now, and there's real life change now, and there are fresh starts and clean slates now. There is power To walk with God now. That was Jesus' message in Galilee. Yes, he was coming to bring a kingdom that is yet future. But he says that kingdom is already broken into the world. That kingdom is at hand. That's not to say that he de-emphasized the eternal ramifications of the gospel. Jesus had a lot to say about eternity. But he wasn't simply selling cosmic life insurance either. In other words, he wasn't simply offering tickets to heaven at the end of the road. Things will be rough in between now and then, but you know someday you'll go to heaven. He was proclaiming that it is possible to live in the light of the kingdom today. It's possible to have joy and peace and a clean slate today. It's possible to have an audience with the king of heaven today. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And that needs to be central to our message. That Christ came, yes, John 3, to give us eternal life. But that he also came, John 10, to give us abundant life. Today. And that he will reign forever and ever, yes, in an eternal kingdom. But that that kingdom has already begun invading this dark world. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now there is, of course, a way to overemphasize the here and now of the kingdom of God in such a way as to really get it all wrong and to do damage. There is a way that we can think that the kingdom of God has so broken into the present age that all Christians should and will have healing now and prosperity now and a bed of roses now. But that's not what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. He doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is fully arrived, but simply that it's breaking in so that there is joy and peace and hope and healing in the midst of the pain and the difficulty and the sorrow that you will have in this present world. But I think most of us probably are prone to err in the other extreme. Most of us are probably not prone to a health, wealth, prosperity view of the here and now. Most of us are probably prone to just presume that we're stuck here for 70 or 80 years 
and we just have to hold on and muddle through until we die. But that's not the reality either. The reality is in between. There is difficulty in this life, but there is victory in this life. There are trials and fears in this life, but there is hope in this life. There is suffering in this life, but there is joy and peace in this life as well because the kingdom of God is at hand. If you belong to Christ, there is hope now. Now that's good news for us, isn't it? Especially if you feel like sometimes life is at this extreme and you're just making it through. You're just holding on. Some of you may feel like that this morning. You're barely holding on by your fingernails. Sometimes there are difficult seasons because the kingdom hasn't yet fully arrived. But it's not that way always. Those difficult seasons aren't the only story. The kingdom of God is not totally dormant. It is at hand. So there is hope, even when you can't feel it. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's a good message for us when we struggle, but it's a good message for our neighbors and our family too. There's a reason, you know, that people love the stories of Narnia. They love in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, in the, in the movies, to, to see the sights of Rivendell, where everything seems to be untouched by all the mess that's going on in the rest of Middle Earth. There's a reason people love those places and those stories, because God has set eternity in their heart, Ecclesiastes 3. They're longing for a kingdom. They're longing for a place of hope and healing where everything that is so wrong will be made right again. And we get to tell them there is a place like that. There is a kingdom and a king that's not just in the stories, but that those stories are all pointing to the great story, capital S, that is the true story. There is a king, there is a kingdom, and he will come Someday and make all things new. But here's the really good news. The kingdom has already begun to break into our world. The king has already come. And so the kingdom is at hand. There are fresh starts. There are hopes fulfilled. There are clean slates even now. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And what an illustration the rest of the Gospel of Mark is of that fact, that the kingdom of God is at hand. In this book, we find remarkable healings. We find sinners forgiven. We find Satan's schemes thwarted again and again. We find common people given real life purpose. We find the hungry being fed. We find the truth dawning on hearts and minds. We find old habits dying away in people who've been made new by Jesus. All the things that we're accustomed to seeing in the church where the gospel is preached, they happen in the book of Mark. They don't happen in our lives so quickly as it is to read through 16 chapters of Mark, but they happen, don't we, if we're members of the kingdom. And this is exactly what Jesus preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. And we see it when we watch his ministry in this book. And we see it when we watch his ministry 
in our lives as we come again and again and let this book speak to us. And we must preach this message as well, this message of the kingdom and hope and abundant life now. But how do we enter this kingdom? The time is fulfilled. The king has come, in other words. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's broken into the world. But how do we enter into the kingdom? What does that look like? What do people who have been made subjects of the kingdom do? Well, here Jesus gives a two-part answer. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. These two things are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. If a person truly repents, he'll believe. And if a person truly believes, he'll do so repentingly. They're two sides of the same coin. They always go together, and yet they are distinct. They are different. And I want to think about each of them separately for a few moments. First, when we enter this kingdom, we must repent. Repent, Jesus says. To repent is to morally turn around. To repent is to have a change of heart. To repent is to have a grief over the ways that we've forgotten God or ignored God or disobeyed God or even thumbed our noses at God. That's what repentance is. The children, many of them, um, are learning a catechism called My First Book of Questions and Answers by Corinne McKenzie. And here's how in that catechism she defines repentance. Writing in the first person for the children to say aloud, I am truly sorry for my sins. I hate them and want to stop doing them. I want to live to please God. That's repentance. I'm truly sorry for my sins. I hate them and want to stop doing them. I want to live to please God. The Westminster Catechism puts it a little more sophisticatedly. Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it to God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. But whether we read it in that um, longer form, or whether we think about it in the more easy, straightforward version of Corinne McKenzie, the point is repentance is turning around. Repentance is a change of heart toward God and about our sin. And that's what Christ calls for here. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. It's interesting, isn't it? All the things that we've been saying about the time being fulfilled and the kingdom of God being at hand are reasons to rejoice, right? We would almost expect him to say, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Rejoice and believe in the gospel. And we do say that. We should do that. But Jesus first says, when you realize that there is a king, when you realize that the world is what it is because of our sin, you must repent alongside your rejoicing. Repent and believe in the gospel. Is that what happened to you when you came to Christ? Did you really repent as we've described it? I love Corinne McKenzie. Let me read it one more time. I'm truly sorry for my sins. I hate them and want to stop doing them. I want to live to please God. Is that what you said when you came to Christ? Something like that. And if not, 
did you really come to Christ? Not on his terms. Because his gospel is the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Now, don't misunderstand. Repentance is not a merit that we must somehow work up in order to gain God's approval so that he'll let us into his kingdom. Christ has earned God's approval on our behalf and completely, hasn't he? By his sinless life, by his sacrificial death, by his rising from the dead on the third day, by his sitting at the Father's right hand, always interceding for us, he has earned God's approval. So we come to God not with some sort of worked up merit of repentance to hand to him in exchange for forgiveness and new life in the kingdom. We come to God always and only empty handed, don't we? Saying, I need mercy, I need grace. And yet, who can come to God empty handed, realizing what our sins have done to God and what they cost him and his son on the cross without positively hating them? And desiring to turn over a new leaf. If you really come to this good, righteous, holy God. If you truly come to him. You must come with your head bowed. Saying I'm sorry. I've been so wrong. Repentance is not a work that we do. That brings us back to God. It's simply the sign that he is at work in our hearts. That we really understand who we're coming to. And thus it's a necessary trait of all who truly come to him, of all who live in Christ's advancing kingdom. And therefore, repentance deserves a key place in our proclamation of the gospel to others. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in In the gospel. Believe this message that I've been proclaiming to you this morning. Believe that the world really is tangled up by sin. Believe that you and I are part of the problem. But also believe that the time is fulfilled. Believe that God has sent his son. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of Jesse. The seed of the woman, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God into the world to forgive sins and to right wrongs and to bring hope and to clean slates and to crush Satan's head and to inaugurate his kingdom. Believe that. Believe in his sinless life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection as your only hope of righteousness before God. Believe that he's sitting at the Father's right hand interceding for you and that he will soon come to judge the living and the dead and to bring us to be always with the Lord who trusts him. Believe in the necessity of repentance. Believe in the gospel, Jesus says. Do you believe in the gospel this morning? If you have never repented and turned to Christ like we've been talking about for the last few minutes, would you not do so now? In fact, let me not just ask you, let me urge you like Jesus, as if from the rooftops, anyone in this room who is outside of Christ this morning, who's never truly repented and believed in the gospel, let me say to you as urgently as I can, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. You repent this morning and you believe 
in this gospel. Believe in this good news about this Savior who has come. And if you're in Christ this morning, let me urge you to proclaim this message to your family, to your schoolmates, in your workplace, over the backyard fence. Let me urge you to be urgent with them. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel.